So this is from Luke 2, 22 to 38. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marvelled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the, for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. as we continue in this series about the promise, we come to a place where the promise is presented. So we've talked about the promise being predicted, and we've looked at the Old Testament and how it predicted a promise of God's relentless pursuit coming into the world. And then last week we talked about the promise being proclaimed and what that looks like in our own hearts. And today we're talking about the promise being presented. And so what I want to ask you is how many of you have particular Christmas traditions or rituals that you take place, that you do every year? Just think in your head, what are those things that we do every year? In my household, there was one particular thing that I knew would happen every Christmas. Now, most of you know I grew up in a preacher's home, and so Christmas was always a busy time. There were things that were always happening around our house preparing for Christmas. As a matter of fact, Christmas was not my favorite holiday growing up. There were other holidays because it seemed like my dad was always gone during the Christmas time. But there was one thing I could count on for sure. Well, there were two things I could count on for sure. One was that my dad would pick the longest passage of scripture to read on Christmas morning before we could open the presents because we had to hear the reason for the season before we could open the presents. And then the second thing that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would have every Christmas was a thing that we called sausage balls. 
Now, I knew that I would always have them. And what it is, is it is breakfast sausage, so ground uh, minced pork with spices, sage and garlic and pepper and salt. If you want the recipe, I can get it to you later. And then a quick um, flour mix, uh, a ready-bake mix. We, we ha- call it Bisquick back in the States. It's other things here. And you mix that in, and then with tasty or cheddar cheese, shred it up. And you take a pound or a, a kilo of, of sausage and, and several cups of Bisquick and then about a kilo of uh, cheddar cheese, and you mix it all together. And then you roll it up in your hands, and you put it on a, a little baking tray, and you bake them. And they come out, and they're beautiful. They're Christmas for me. When I see them, I think of Christmas. When we moved here, I had to learn how to make breakfast sausage like we have in the States. And it's really one of the few things that I've actually said, if I could bring that from the States, I would bring it over here. Most things that have stayed in the States, I'm cool with them staying in the States. If you want to know what those are, we can talk about that later too. But the reality is that breakfast sausage is something that's amazing. And if you've not had it, I can teach you how to make it now. But that's a ritual that we have. In Australia, what I've learned is that during the holiday season, you all, and I as well now, will eat about 45,000 ton of prawns. That sort of that Christmas Eve trip to the fishmonger is tradition or ritual to grab those, or to Kohl's or Woolies to get the already made ones, which makes it a little bit easier on us. One of the things that Pop Sugar, which is a, a, a website that is just uh, full of all sorts of information, and I'm sure it's all correct, says that there is an, a, a tradition in Australia, is Santa's surfing. Now, I think that's anywhere there's probably ocean and water, but definitely in Australia I have seen Santa surfing. But more importantly is how do you spend the afternoon? You either play cricket in the backyard or you go to the beach on Christmas Day. Or sleep, (laughs) Lynn says. Yeah, I like that one. That never happens for us. The point is is that we all have things in our lives that attach to certain holidays or certain things. And those rituals are there to give us some sort of uh, understanding of what is taking place. Those rituals that we do are not there just because it's the thing that we always do, but it's the emotion and the memory and the things that are tied to it that cause us to go, we've got to make sure we do that again this year. It's interesting to think about how those rituals actually get started in our families. Oftentimes it's through tragedy that rituals get started. It's because something has happened or taken place that we think we've got to do something to memorialize this or remember this. Or sometimes it's because we've had a transition in our lives. For instance, we have different rituals now here than what we had in the States because something has changed about us. One of the things that is probably most important about rituals for us is that when we do them or we participate in them or we anticipate them. See, what rituals do is we know they're coming and so we begin to anticipate them. We can't wait for them to get there. We begin to plan on them to be there. And so it changes our focus and it changes the way that we operate in our daily life as we wait for that ritual to come. What we see happening in this passage is very much a sense of God weaving his story into the ritual that was the Israelite nation. 
you'll recognize there's several things that happen. As a matter of fact, in the verse just above this, we see that Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day. Now that's according to the law, but it's also a ritual. We recognize that what it says here is that then they have to go back to Jerusalem because Mary needs to be purified. And they also need to ransom Jesus. Why is that? Well, see, the presentation that takes place in Jerusalem is motivated by these laws that were established by Moses. According to Leviticus 12, after a woman gives birth to a son, she is impure for 40 days. And at the end of that period, she had to be brought to the temple and offer a sacrifice so that she could effectively be purified or made new. And then in Exodus 12, verse 2 and 12 and 15, it states that the firstborn male, whether it is a human or an animal, belongs to the Lord. And so what happens is, uh, what would take place is that if a firstborn animal was made and they were clean and good and pure, they would go and they would be sacrificed. But for a firstborn human, that, that boy would go and they would ransom him. They would give money to the temple in order for him to not have to be sacrificed. And that's what's taking place here. There's ritual. As we drop further down in this passage, we see Anna. And what is she doing when she's at the temple? She's fasting and praying every night and every day. In some sense, there's a ritual, a practice that is going on in her life. And Simeon himself, clearly it says he's a righteous and devout man. And so that means in order in that culture to be righteous and devout, he followed the high holidays. He followed the things that were supposed to be done. He practiced the rituals that were needed. He operated his house according to the law. And these rituals here had been going on for centuries and they'd been affecting all of the people that were around them. But what we recognize here in these two people is they had taken their ritual and they have not allowed it to become broken. They've not allowed it to be made plain. As a matter of fact, what they have seen in their ritual is moving them into relationship with God. Now check this out. Most people in Israel probably did the rituals. But much like us, they can become stagnant in their lives. At this point, they were in bondage. In this point, the Roman Empire had controlled them. And so while they would say, yes, we're waiting for the consolation of Israel, or we're waiting for the Messiah to come, and they would do these things that were supposed to draw their attention to God's ever-pursuing, loving, right? What they would do is miss it. And they would say, we just need to do it. So I'm watching this show on Prime, Amazon Prime, that just came out. In Australia, by the way. I think it's $14 a month. I don't get a kickback for that. And it's called The Amazing Mrs. Maisel. And it's about a, a woman, comedian, in 1958 and 1959, New York City. And they happen to be Jewish. And all around them happened to be Jewish. And so an episode that I happened to watch last night had to do with Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, which is a high holy day and a very important day. And in that day, they would fast all day long until they would break fast. After a celebration, 
and a time of confession. So everyone would go to temple and there would be a, a rote confession and they would go through confessing things back and forth and they would be led in that confession. And then after that's over, they would go and celebrate because God had atoned them, had given them peace. The interesting thing about the show is the way that they portrayed it. Because they portrayed it the way that I think sometimes we operate in our rituals. Everybody was planning for the celebration at the end. Everybody was looking forward to the breaking of fast, the big dinner. And so as they showed a picture of everybody in the temple going through the process, you could hear them confessing for things, confessing for their gluttony, confessing for their mean spirits, confessing for the way that they had not followed God, confessing for lying. And all of them in everything, circumstance, were thinking about the meal coming afterwards. As a matter of fact, they were even talking to themselves and arguing about who was going to sit where and what was going to happen. And then as soon as the service was over, nobody stepped to talk to anybody. Everybody jumped and started heading out as quickly as they could. They started moving and people were saying, I have nuts in my purse. I have a jar of pickles in my purse so that they could begin to eat because they had to wait. And what had happened and what had taken place around them did not weigh on their hearts at all. They didn't let it inform their life in any way. You see, ritual is supposed to bring anticipation. And too often, we allow ritual to bring disdain. We think that the things that God has called us to do, whether they are following His law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, are gathered together with those other believers that are around you. We think that those are just things that we have to do. And we don't let them inform us in what our life should look like. What takes place here, though, is we see Simeon and we see Anna and we see Mary and Joseph who believe that there is something going on in these acts of following the law. There is something that is happening in being devout in some form or fashion. That what it is doing is it is tying them in to the story of God. That it is weaving them into His story and to His practice. That he is actually present in those rituals. And in those rituals, the promise of God is presented to all who see them. You see, what's taking place here as Jesus comes on the scene is there's a man who has been waiting, waiting and anticipating God's salvation. And when it happens, when he's there, he sees it and he recognizes it and he begins to praise God. He sings a song and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Listen, he's in the temple and he's singing this song about Gentiles seeing God's glory. Recognize that here God 
God is expanding his story. He's saying, I'm not just going to weave in the traditional people that I have called, but I'm going to weave in all people from every tribes and nations into my story. He says that those rituals that you've been doing have been good and they've led you to this place, but here now in that ritual, I'm going to bring in even more. I'm going to expand my kingdom. So much so that when they hear it, Mary and Joseph are marveled, not out of shock or not out of um, just, well, this is unique, this old man coming up and singing over our son, but because they are caught by what he is saying, that God is present, that even though they knew that Jesus was the Son of God, to have someone who had never seen Jesus before as a mere infant saying, this in fact is the salvation of the Lord, causes them in their heart to worship. They are marveled by it. And then as God does, he sends Anna at the exact time to join in the chorus. Why? Because it's not just for men to proclaim God's coming. It is for all people. And he wants to make sure that there is a man and a woman present to say, this is what God is doing. And she begins to sing out. See how God expands his kingdom. See how God says, yes, those rituals have served you and brought you to this place, but now that my promise is presented, I'm opening it, opening it up even further. I am bringing all in so that they can see. In the fulfillment of this promise, it causes us to want to live expectantly as well. That's the way Simeon and Anna live. She was in the temple because she knew something was going to happen. She knew that God was going to do something, and so she lived a life of expectancy. Simeon, who is there, is living a life of expectancy. His whole life was focused on this one thing, that the Lord had told me that I won't die before I see salvation. Can you imagine every day waking up and knowing that this might be my last day? And if it is my last day, that means... I will have seen salvation. Most of you have probably felt that way with the Dockers. At some day, you'll wake up and they will have won the premiership. <laughs> Can you imagine that feeling that he had? That today I might die, but before I do, I will have seen salvation. How expectant he must have been. It doesn't tell us that he was always at the temple. It could be that he was. Just for the fact that in his culture, where he was at, is that's the most likely place that God would show up. What we know is that God didn't show up there first, did he? We know from last week that he showed up very humbly. And here he is again still humble as a baby coming in. We're to live expectantly. And what we too often do is we operate in the small. We operate in the just now and not the things that God has provided for us to move forward. As a matter of fact, too oftenly, we dwell only in the flesh. What we catch that's going on here with Simeon and Anna is that she and he are filled by the Holy Spirit. That there is something greater than them who is moving and propelling them forward. And here's the beautiful thing for those of us who are in Christ, is that we have that same Spirit. And not only that, it is the Spirit of Christ that is holding all of the universe together. 
but we get to participate in it and move. So the very same spirit that causes them to live anticipating, even though they're walking in what we would see as dead rituals, they are anticipating God because the Holy Spirit is present. And if we begin to take our eyes off the flesh and look to the things above, then it moves us to become more than just passive spectators. But we become active participants in God's presenting of His promise. Just like Hannah. Because at the end we see that she sings this worship song and then she goes out and she speaks to everyone who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, telling them that it is in fact present and here. That it has come. And so he moves about, she moves about saying, I am now an active participant in the presentation of the promise. The same is true for us. That those of us who have heard this merciful call of God, that we have been captured by this pursuing God and His steadfast love, we become active participants in His presentation. That in fact, it says that we are His presentation. That our very lives are the things that will draw people to Him. And so it causes us to live in mercy and grace and peace and justice and love to all that we come encounter with. That we are able to say that I, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Why? Because it has happened to me and I see it happening to those that are around me. Christmas is full of rituals. And for the most part, we like most of them. Because we get something at the end. Oftentimes, we'll look at the rituals of our religious life and say, I get bored. That's not doing anything for me. And this is not a sermon to tell you you should be in church every Sunday. Or unless you're doing communion this way, you're doing it wrong. Is that what I'm saying? But I do want you to hear me say this. In God's writing and weaving of His story into our lives, he places certain things that we can participate in in a regular basis in what would seem very ritualistic in order for us to be grafted into the promise itself. Now he does it spiritually and mysteriously beyond our comprehension that these very acts can cause us to be tied in. And we're about to do one of those. That's what the Lord's Supper is for us. It's a thing that we do that some would say, well, you do it every week and so it must get old. And for us ourselves, sometimes we might think, yeah, that gets a little old. We get to do that every week. But what it can do for us, if we move beyond the flesh and we see the mystery of God walking us into this, it will graft us into His promise that it becomes a proclamation to our heart so that we can sing out, salvation is present. And in doing that, then we are filled, much like this Sunday is, with joy. Don't you think Anna and Simeon were filled with joy when they knew that salvation had come? 
And we too then should be filled with joy, recognizing that it's built in the sorrow of this world, but knowing that since salvation has come, we can be joyful. And even in what seems like rote ritual, I can find joy. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon us and transforming us and changing us. So, if you're here and you've not participated in many rituals in your life and they're fearful for you, I get it. I'm not saying go find a place that has tons of rituals. That doesn't necessarily do anything. What I want to say to you is this. I hope that you will find in the rituals of Christmas and the rituals that we do in telling the story of God's redemptive pursuit in our gatherings on Sunday that you will find the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit will bind you in. And if you're here and you've been part of this gathering for as long as you can remember, or you've just been here shortly, I pray that you will, in our sort of rituals that we do, that you will find a flow of God's Spirit moving you to a place of understanding. But my hope and prayer above all is that in everything that we do, both in word and deed, that we will be presenting the promise that is Jesus Let me pray for us. Father God, you are holy and mighty. Thank you for pursuing us, bringing us into your kingdom, letting us know who you are. We pray today that we will present the promise, your promise, Jesus, that we will move ourselves to a place of not losing who we are because you have made us uniquely who we are, but being submitted to you We thank you for Simeon and Anna who told of who you were, who proclaimed you, who lifted you up. Let our lives be like that as well. Father, it's in your name we lift this up. Jesus, it's through you we pray this. Amen. Let's stand.